Good evening. Uh, if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of First Corinthians. First Corinthians, right after Romans. Uh, we are going to be in chapter 6, uh, verses 9 through 11 is where I'm going to read from before we pray. First Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. We're continuing in our series of uh, tough questions. Uh, next week, we'll be talking about the issue of uh, free will versus uh, election. Uh, am I really free to choose or has God completely controlled or determined everything? What is the balance of that in the scripture? So we'll be talking about that next week. But this week, uh, we are uh, going to be in 1 Corinthians 6. And uh, like it says up here, we'll be talking about the issue of what does the scripture say on this difficult subject of homosexuality? So uh, 1 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 9. Paul writes, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Would you pray with me? Our God, we thank you for the words that we just sang, that the blood of Jesus Christ has redeemed us from the curse of sin and of death. The blood of Jesus Christ has given us life. Father, we pray that we would trust in him. Father, we pray that we would extend the grace of God to those around us. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray as we study it this evening, just help us to understand it. I pray that um, through it, you would communicate to us the truth as well as the grace of Jesus Christ. Pray that we would believe what it has to say, that we would not be resistant to its truth, and I pray that we would obey it. Father, we pray, give us wisdom. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a tough topic again tonight. Um, this, is, uh, this issue of homosexuality, to tell you the truth, is one that when I began in college ministry a number of years ago was not a topic that I typically would have addressed in its own sermon. I typically placed it in a sermon with uh, broader issues of sexual morality. But Over the course of time that I've been doing college ministry, I've really seen this become more of an issue, not only in our culture, but also in the church. And so felt like we need to address this issue on a separate week, in its own week. What does the scripture say about it? How are we to respond to our culture's understanding of this issue of homosexuality? Just to give you kind of a frame of reference for how our, our society has changed in this regard, even in the last 10 to 15 years. When I was in college in the 90s, Ellen DeGeneres, she didn't have a talk show back then. She actually had a sitcom uh, that was on for three or four years. And toward the end of her sitcom's run, Uh, she decided that uh, she wanted her character to essentially come out and declare that she was identifying herself as as a lesbian, as a gay woman. At the same time, Ellen, 
the real person, came out and did the same thing. She went on a number of talk shows and was on magazines and stated the fact that, yes, I am gay. And uh, the goal, apparently, from reading between the lines, was for a show that was sagging in its ratings to kind of boost up the ratings. Now, what's interesting is, unfortunately for her, I suppose, it had the opposite effect um, in that back then she was the first leading character in a television show to be gay. And uh, there was a huge conservative backlash from a number of organizations focused on the family and Jerry Falwell's organization and a number of others, just an outcry that uh, people didn't want to deal with this issue in primetime. One sponsor, Chrysler, actually pulled their ads from her show because they said they didn't want to get involved in such a controversial topic. Now, what's interesting about that is a year later, her show was canceled. The ratings went down. But that following fall, a show called Will and Grace came on the air. Now, some of you have perhaps watched Will and Grace, and it was on for, I don't know, seven or eight years probably. And uh, right from the get-go, the the lead character, Will, was self-identified as a gay man. And what's interesting is, after that ground was broken with Ellen's show, now it's difficult to find a television show in which you don't have a gay character in some sort of leading role. I suppose... Maybe something like Thomas the Train or something like that wouldn't, but, you know, maybe a matter of time. And so it is difficult to find a TV show or uh, any sort of media in which you don't have homosexuality prominently displayed. And so our culture's attitude has certainly shifted on this issue. A, A survey that was done just really this February, just a couple of weeks ago, by a group called the Pew Research Center. They surveyed uh, people across the age spectrum in our country, and they asked this question, uh, do you feel that homosexuality is always wrong? All right, Uh, when they asked those who were born between 1928 and 1945, 70% of them said, yes, homosexuality is always wrong. That's typically, that's your grandparents' generation. Now, when they asked our parents' generation, the baby boomers, those born between... uh, 1946, 1965, somewhere in that range, 56% of the baby boomers said that homosexuality is always wrong. Now, when they asked those that were born after 1981, which is your generation, only 43% say that homosexuality is always wrong. So over the course of time, there's been a, a consistent shift in the way that our culture views this issue. All right, so that's one reason I feel like we need to address it, is how do we respond to a culture that is, is really pushing homosexuality as a valid, acceptable, even perhaps a, a, a good and desirable lifestyle? The other reason I think it's important for us to address it is because the church, meaning those of us who identify uh, with Jesus Christ, we haven't always done the greatest job of dealing with this issue. I think there's been uh, one of about three responses amongst the church. One is to ignore the issue altogether and assume that within our walls there are not men and women who are struggling with this issue. And uh, what I have found is that that's a big mistake, that the odds are, if you're sitting in here this morning, you know men and women, perhaps even Christian men and women, who are really struggling with this issue. Another response is simply to uh, go along with our culture and affirm it. And some churches have taken that route of saying, let's not fight the culture. Uh, Let's figure out a way that we can accommodate the scripture to the homosexual lifestyle and have affirmed it. A third response that I've seen is uh, to come out and speak about it, but to declare about homosexuality in such a way that it, it seems clear that in the church, homosexuals or those struggling with it are not welcome. Or that homosexuality is at the bottom of the barrel when it comes to personal sin. 
So I've seen these three responses. What I wanted to do a little bit with this talk, hopefully, is provide what is some biblical truth, but also provide some balance. Where does the grace and compassion and the gospel of Jesus Christ fit into this issue of homosexuality? It may be that you're you're facing either yourself, you're struggling with this, or you have a friend who's struggling with this, and you don't know how to respond. I can remember being in college the very first time that I had to face this was a good friend of mine had a roommate who declared himself to be gay. And we really wrestled with this. How do we respond to this guy? Do we kick him out of the apartment? Do we just let it go on? How do we respond in a way that is biblical and compassionate? So that's what we're going to hopefully talk about. And right up front, what I want to do, I want to give just a couple of definitions as we talk because the issue is complicated. When I say homosexuality, you guys may have uh, different concepts in your mind. So I want to give just three terms that I think are going to help us as we plow through this this evening. One would be the term uh, same-sex attraction, right? When we talk about attraction, what we're talking about is a person that may struggle with desires toward the same sex. They may just be attracted. They may see somebody of the same sex and think that they're good-looking or want to be with that person, all right? Somebody who is struggling with same-sex attraction may not go to that second phase, which would be identity, They may not identify themselves as uh, homosexual, as gay, or as lesbian, or or whatever it may be, right? And so they may have attractions, but not yet have gotten to the place where they say, this is my identity. I embrace this as an identity, right? The third term would be homosexual behavior. And that would be not just attraction, not just identity, but I'm actually acting out uh, this identity and this attraction in, in a way that is physical or sexual or even perhaps in some cases emotional toward the same sex. I'm acting toward the same sex that we normally would expect a person to act toward the opposite sex. So I'm engaging in homosexual behavior. As we talk uh, through the scriptures, what we're going to see is that the Bible primarily addresses the issue of identity in a broad sense and the issue of behavior when it addresses this issue of homosexuality, right? Identity and behavior. Now, I think the issue of attraction is addressed, uh, again, uh, in terms of principle, but primarily when the issue of homosexuality is confronted, it's by, by nature of, of identity and behavior, right? So as we talk through, I want you to keep that in mind. And again, what we're gonna try to do is just ask this question, what does the Bible say on this issue? And then how do we respond? So let me start just by giving us some biblical evidence. What does the Bible teach about it, beginning with this kind of sub-question. Is homosexuality in the scripture really a sin? Is it declared to be a sin? There are those who would declare themselves to be Christians in, in Christian denominations, perhaps, that would, would answer this no. Many of you may be familiar uh, with the case of Gene Robinson. Gene Robinson is a bishop in the Episcopal Church here in the United States, in New Hampshire. He was elected bishop in New Hampshire in 2003. And, and the thing that made it significant is that Gene Rob, Robinson is openly gay. He lives with a partner, and yet he is a bishop at a uh, what is supposed to be a Christian denomination. He was the first bishop of a major mainline denomination to be openly gay. Right, when he is asked about this issue of homosexuality, how can you reconcile it with the scripture? Here's what Robinson says. The question is, Are there any answers there in the Bible for what we're asking today, which is the rightfulness of faithful, monogamous, lifelong intentioned relationships between people of the same sex? And the Bible simply does not address that. All right, so he would say, look, the Bible doesn't talk about monogamous, faithful, homosexual relationships. It only talks about those that are in the context of idol worship or those that are in the context uh, of uh, non 
uh, exclusive relationships, right? So that's, that's his argument. That the scripture doesn't talk about homosexuality per se, but only homosexuality when it's practiced inappropriately. So what I want to do is I want to walk through all of uh, the relevant passages this evening pretty much. Okay, and we're just going to talk about do they uh, condemn homosexuality per se or not? And again, the challenge is we want to figure out before we go forward and how to respond, what does the Bible simply say? Because I think there's a lot of confusion on this issue. All right, so I'm going to begin the first passage we see in the Old Testament. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22 says, You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. All right, abomination just meaning something God doesn't like. Now we see it in in the context, and Leviticus 18 is in the context of a a whole bunch of sexual prohibition. All right, Uh, adultery is prohibited, incest, uh, bestiality, a number of things are prohibited in this context. It's in a chapter in which God lays out for his people, these are the sexual boundaries. This is what I want you to abide by. And now when we get to Leviticus chapter 20, the penalties for those sexual sins are listed out. If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. Now again, this is a list of penalties for sexual sins, adultery, incest, bestiality, all of these things are punishable either by death or perhaps by what the Old Testament refers to as being cut off. You might no longer be a part of the covenant community, which means you might be cast out from the community or you might be cursed and be barren, not able to bear children and offspring that will be a part of this community. All right, so severe penalties in the context. Okay, so uh, one of the, the challenges that we have, though, as we look at the Old Testament is how do we know what to take from Leviticus and apply, and how do we know what doesn't apply anymore? Because clearly there are things we read in the Old Testament that we don't do anymore. Right? And one of the common arguments to say, well, these, these don't apply, is to say, well, Leviticus talks about a bunch of stuff, right? It talks about things like, don't boil a goat in its mother's milk, right? And you read that and you go, well, we don't really apply that too much anymore. Most of us don't have goats. We wouldn't try to boil them in milk. We wouldn't know how to extract the milk, all these sort of things. And so we don't really try to apply that anymore. Another one would be, well, don't wear clothes made of two kinds of material. That was a reflection or a symbol of God's holiness. And you say, well, wow, I mean, lots of us wear polyester, right? In the 70s would be just a terribly evil time in our country if we uh, considered and still followed that rule. So what is the, what is the distinction between these sexual prohibitions and uh, commands like that? And there's a couple of things. One is, first of all, these sexual commands are listed in their own section. All right, they're, they're listed separately, and they're listed in a place, again, where the penalties are much more severe than for other types of violations of the law. Most violations of the law, you could sacrifice something and move on with your life. But certain sexual sins, again, homosexuality is one of many that is listed. Certain sexual sins bore the penalty of death or exclusion from the covenant community. So there's a seriousness and a severity to some of these sins in the Old Testament law. And we're going to talk about why in just a minute, but there's a seriousness to some of these sexual sins that isn't the same as some of these other sort of codes. The other reason that it's different from some of these codes is that these sexual sins are are repeated in the New Testament. Under the era of grace, uh, they're repeated in the New Testament. All right, Romans chapter one is a good illustration. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, 
And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. So in Romans 1, in the context of Romans 1, Paul is talking about how all of mankind has run away from God. And in that context, he uses homosexuality as one vivid illustration of how mankind has said, I don't want to serve the creator but I want to create gods in my own image. And I want to live life in a way that pleases me rather than in a way that pleases God. And I think the issue is that uh, any of these sexual sins, and homosexuality is, is a very vivid illustration, but sexual sins hit at the very heart of what God's plan is for his people. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, we talked about sexuality in general and what is God's plan for it. And if you look at Genesis chapter 2, What you see in Genesis chapter 2 is that God creates Adam. He puts him in the Garden of Eden. And Adam looks around and he looks at all the animals. And God says there's not a helper suitable for him. There's not a companion or a partner. So God puts Adam to sleep. From his rib, he creates a woman. And when Adam sees her, he says what? This is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She'll be called woman because she was taken from man. And she is created to complement him. And then it says the two were naked and unashamed and they became one flesh. And then God commands them to be fruitful and to multiply so that they can bear offspring that glorify God. And so the purpose of sexuality is for the man and the woman to reflect the design of God in creation, the complementarity that he wants to reflect, and then also to bear offspring that glorify him. And so any sexuality that goes outside of that, whether it's fornication or adultery or even pornography or homosexuality or incest or bestiality or whatever it may be, that violates what is God's plan for his people. That's why I think these sexual sins, again, and not just homosexuality, but all sexual sins are are very significant because they hit at the heart of of God's plan. As you go throughout the New Testament, you do see homosexuality mentioned in a couple other contexts. 1 Corinthians 6, which I read earlier, it's mentioned uh, in a list of sins. For those who will, it says, not inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Timothy chapter 1, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. All right, so in these passages, it's listed uh, along with these other sins that are contrary to to God's plan. Now, uh, one thing that's been argued, especially from the book of Romans, is some will say, well, again, like Gene Robinson said, let's say in in the Roman context, they didn't understand this concept of faithful, lifelong, monogamous homosexuality. So Paul can't be condemning that. The problem is that as you look at the literature of the day from the Roman Empire, they actually did have that concept. There was an author named Juvenal. He was a satirist of, of types in the first century, a Roman satirist, he actually writes a satire about a homosexual marriage. The concept of same-sex marriage between one man and another man was actually known in the first century. If you read Philo, a Jewish writer in the first century, Philo uses terminology very similar to Paul to say homosexuality is what he says it's against the common nature. And the idea is it's against the natural created order. And so what happens is Jewish writers from the period, they broadly condemn homosexuality, not just uh, pedophilia, not just homosexuality and idol worship or some sort of cultic homosexuality. It seems like what's going on through the scripture is that homosexuality per se is a sin. Now, even as we talk about that, though, the, the, the question that pops into our minds then is, is it worse than other sins? 
If it is a sin, is it inherently worse than other sins? Again, some would say, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Some of you may have heard of a group called Westboro Baptist Church out of Kansas. This is the group that you've seen on television at funerals and various events holding up the signs, God hates homosexuals, right? And I'm not going to say exactly what their signs say here, but uh, groups that are, you know, angry and they they march around and they picket, uh, they have a website and their website says this as far as why they focus uniquely on homosexuality. It's that they say, homosexuality is due special attention by our ministry for several reasons. First, Paul the apostle, sometimes called the lion of Christ, who spoke as he was moved by the Holy Spirit, gave the sin of homosexuality special attention. It is important that you carefully read Romans 1 repeatedly. It is clear that on the ladder of human depravity, homosexuality is the bottom rung. By the time a person reaches the state of hardcore, defiant, unrepentant homosexual lifestyle, God has washed his hands of that person. God does not hate them because they are homosexuals. They are homosexuals because God hates them, right? So the argument runs that God has made them homosexual because he hates them. He wants to destroy them. And they use Romans 1 to say, look, it's clear in Romans 1 that homosexuality is at the bottom of the barrel. They say, read Romans 1 repeatedly. So what we're going to do, we're going to read Romans 1, but actually we're going to read the whole passage, all right? Not just part of it. Because as you get through the the part that I just read, verses 26 to 27, all right, go down then to verse 28. After describing homosexuality, Paul says this, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. All right, so in the context of Romans 1, as Paul lays out this downward slide, that mankind is in, it seems clear that yes, homosexuality is a part of that downward slide. But interestingly, it's not the end of that downward slide. He says homosexuality is is a uh, vivid illustration of how mankind is turned away from God to worship the creator. But then after that, it leads to other things, depravity and violence and disobedience and heartlessness and faithlessness and all of these things. And what Paul is saying is that no matter what the sin is, there's this slide downward toward walking away from God. All right, so is homosexuality per se worse in the scriptures than other sins? I would have to say, well, it's not that it's so much worse than any other sin. Sexual sins certainly are placed in a special category, right? When you get to 1 Corinthians 6, it says the person who sins sexually sins against his own body. And if you're a Christian, the spirit of God lives within your, in you. And so that's significant. You take your body, you join it to a prostitute, you're taking the spirit and you're becoming one flesh with a prostitute. Well, homosexuality would fall in this category of sexual sins. But as it compares to sexual sins, there's nothing in the scripture that says it's inherently worse. Or that uh, there's a hotter place in hell for those that struggle with this issue. So is it, is it a worse sin? It certainly has significant consequences, but it's not the end. It's not the bottom of the spiral as we look at scripture. Another question that is asked a lot is this, is it a choice, right? And I think the Bible speaks to that a little bit, right? Is it a choice? And by choice, often it is, well, does somebody wake up in the morning? And some of you may struggle with this issue. And if you do, your experience has not been, well, I wake up in the morning and decide, well, there's heterosexuality and homosexuality and bisexuality. I'll take this one, right? 
That's not usually the experience that people have. They don't say, I woke up and decided that I would struggle with this issue. In fact, just the opposite. When I've talked with people who struggle with this issue, usually they desperately want to be not struggling with this issue. And they say, I wish that I did not have this uh, orientation toward same-sex attraction. So is it a choice? Well, we're going to talk about that for just a moment. Some have argued, well, it's certainly not a choice because it's genetic. One of the uh, big arguments that we get from the culture is, well, there's a gene that causes homosexuality. And what you need to know is that there's been study after study done in the last 20 to 30 years. There's not been a study that has conclusively shown that there's a, there's a gay gene. Uh, there have been studies, for example, the most famous, done by a, a guy named LeVay, that demonstrated there was a portion of the brain that looked different in uh, corpses of homosexual men who died of AIDS versus the corpses of heterosexual men. But the problem is that the study didn't determine cause. Why does this part of the brain look different? Uh, Sometimes behavior can actually alter brain structure. So did the homosexual behavior cause the brain to change? Did the brain structure cause the homosexuality? Did the AIDS cause the change in brain structure? They really aren't certain. And there's not been a good study. But even if there were, even if there were a study that came out and said, yes, it's absolutely genetic, it's proven, that wouldn't be at odds with what we see, in fact, in Scripture. If you look at Ephesians 2, it says, all of us are, by nature, children of wrath. Romans 5 says that we've inherited sin from Adam. Our genes are broken. Uh, It has been demonstrated, for example, that alcoholism uh, is partly genetic. But most of us wouldn't say, well, go ahead then and, and just... Drink to your heart's content, right? Embrace the alcoholic within, right? Uh, Genes do not determine our destiny. The best studies demonstrate actually that homosexuality, while not a conscious choice, actually has a number of environmental factors, right? And the biggest one has to do with one's relationship to the same-sex parent growing up. For most of us, uh, take guys for example, from zero to 18 months, most of us bond most exclusively with our mothers because our moms are the ones doing most of the caretaking, the ones feeding us in those early days. But sometime between 18 months and two to three years, most of us as guys, we begin to disengage a little bit from our mothers and we begin to bond with our fathers. That's called gender identification. I begin to identify now with dad. I want to be like dad. I want to learn to throw a ball or to fish or just to do whatever it is that dad does. Now, if the dad is open and affirming, that process goes well and I begin to understand what manhood looks like. If it goes poorly, however, if dad is distant or dad is absent or hostile, Something can go wrong in that process where instead of identifying with dad, I go back and I over-identify with mom. In studies that have been done, a study from the early 2000s by a guy named Reekers found this, that nearly 70% of gender-confused boys, 70% do not have a father at home. In the most severe cases, those where they most dramatically identified with uh, the opposite sex in terms of boys that were confused, am I a boy, am I a girl, who am I? 100% of the most severe cases, there was no father at home. In the remaining 30%, the majority had a father who was psychologically distant or absent. Um, This lack of connection for a father figure seems to lead to an emotional yearning for love by somebody of the opposite sex. So what you need to understand is that homosexuality is not primarily about sex. It's primarily about identity and affirmation. Another major environmental issue is is abuse. Often there's been sexual abuse at a critical stage in the development. 35% 
of homosexual men report being molested by older men. All right, that's versus about 4% in the general population. Right, 35%. 75% of homosexual men report that their first sexual experience with another male happened prior to age 16. So in those real formative years, somehow there was a sexual experience that solidified this identity issue. Uh, One study showed that of lesbian women, 90% of them had experienced some form of abuse as a child, most of them sexual and physical abuse, and and many of them uh, verbal abuse as well, right? So there's these environmental factors that lead to it as well. And I, I say that to help you understand the struggle itself is not a choice, So if you have friends that are struggling with this, understand that out of compassion, don't say, well, you just woke up one morning and decided to be attracted to the opposite sex. What is a choice biblically is behavior, right? Behavior is a choice. James 1 says this, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. All right, so what happens is when I have a temptation in my case, perhaps a temptation to lust after a woman that I see on campus and I walk along and I see this girl and I go, wow, you know, and I have that temptation. At some point then that desire, it says, becomes conceived and where it gets into sin is when I begin to replay that moment or I begin to look over that person or I begin to go home and I fantasize about that person and I begin to think about or act in ways that are contrary to God's plan. And so behavior and thought life over time is a choice. So no matter what our struggle, whether it's anger, greed, pride, homosexuality, adultery, or pornography, ultimately our behavior is a choice regardless of our inclinations. So is it a choice in the sense of, yeah, I choose to have this struggle? No. Is it a choice in the sense of this is what I choose to do and how I choose to identify? I would say, yeah. Biblically speaking, behavior is a choice. So as we look at the scripture again, it says, yes, it's a sin. All right, homosexuality is a sin, not necessarily one that stands above all others, right? and not necessarily one that your struggle with it is, is all your fault, but it is one that the scripture would say, I challenge you to seek now holiness, holiness. Right? Some of you may be here and, and you hear all this and you go, all right, that's great, but what if I struggle with this? And I just feel this is a strong struggle for me. What do I do? Thanks for the biblical info. I know it's wrong, but what do I do? Right? Let me just give you a few thoughts. First of all, I would say this, reconsider your your identity. Rethink your identity. Again, this issue of homosexuality is primarily one of identity and affirmation. Exodus International, which is the biggest national group that ministers to homosexual men and women, they have a great phrase that they use. They say the opposite of homosexuality is not heterosexuality, it's holiness. It's holiness. The idea is this, that if I have believed in Jesus Christ, my identity is not found in a sin struggle. My identity is found in Jesus. And I need to begin to think, whatever the struggle, you know, I'm, I'm just an angry, impatient, frustrated person. Well, no, you are a child of God through Jesus Christ who's been called to holiness. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And it may be that you're here and you struggle with this and you don't know Jesus. What the scripture would say to you is this, that uh, although homosexuality is listed as a sin in the scripture, it's a sin for which Jesus died. Jesus took the penalty, the wrath of God on your behalf and on my behalf. Then he rose again, he defeated death, he defeated sin. And for those who believe in him, he gives eternal life and forgiveness of sins. And the Holy Spirit then moves in to dwell in your heart, to allow you 
to overcome that sin. The very Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is powerful enough to overcome any sin. That's the second point. Understand that change is possible. 1 Corinthians 6, 11 that I read at the beginning, it says, after talking about all these sins, one of which is homosexuality, says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I read that in the understanding that I think in the church at Corinth, that probably means that there were men and women who had previously engaged in homosexuality. And yet Paul says, that's who you were. But Jesus called you out of that. And they've experienced new life. And yes, new behavior. And yes, even new identity. If you're struggling with this, know that it's not the best that you can hope for to say, well, I may not engage in homosexual behavior, but I'm not ever going to get married. I'm not ever going to have kids because I am homosexual. You should know that there are thousands of testimonies of men and women who have come to a place where uh, they have walked through this by the Spirit of God and, and by the grace of God, he changed their desires. And they're married and they have children, right? I would encourage you to go to the Exodus website, exodusinternational.org, and you'll see testimonies on there of men and women who now are walking with God. God has purified and cleansed and changed their desires. Change is possible. Third thing I would say is this, if you're struggling with this, stop hiding. Stop hiding. Psalm 32, David says this, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. David says, when when I hid my sin, it it ate me up. And some of you are in that place where you've struggled with this for years perhaps and you've never told anybody or maybe you did and all you received was ridicule or rejection or scorn. What I would challenge you to do is don't use that as an excuse not to engage again and to try to seek healing. There are men and women that desire to care for you with the love of Christ and to help you walk through this. So stop hiding. Find a close friend. Talk to a pastor here. Find a a resource that will help you walk through this. One great resource I'm going to give you guys. Here in town, there's a group called the Center for Christian Reconciliation. They're attached to Exodus International. Michael Newman is the director. Uh, Michael is a guy that uh, in his past had a struggle with homosexuality, that is, his, uh, that is his testimony, and now he works to help others uh, break free of this struggle. All right, this is his website and his phone number. He has a group here in town, particularly for men that struggle with this issue, uh, but ladies, if you are struggling or know someone who is, he can point you in the right direction to another group nearby. Stop hiding. Now, some of you say, all right, that's not me. I don't struggle with that issue. So lastly, what if I don't? Does this affect me? What if this isn't me? Let me just give you a few thoughts. All right, first one is this. Remember, first of all, that Jesus forgave you. Luke 7, Jesus says, the one who is forgiven much, loves much. Tells a great story about a man who is forgiven a great deal of money versus a man who's forgiven just a little bit. And he says, the one who's forgiven the great deal loves the most. The one who doesn't understand his forgiveness or has been forgiven little, loves little. So remember that Jesus forgave you and and your sin will send you to hell apart from Jesus just as much as anybody else's. So we seek to have compassion and grace. Secondly, balance grace and truth. Yes, speak the truth. Don't be afraid to speak the truth despite what our culture may say on this issue. 
Don't just stand by and allow a friend to go down the path of destruction because you don't want to offend them. On the other hand, be gracious and be kind, be sensitive and compassionate. Uh, Let me challenge you, and this is guys in particular, but girls, if this is an issue, listen as well. But guys, let let me just challenge you to retire the gay jokes from your repertoire. I know you may have cultivated them and they're important to you and you've got a great impersonation or whatever it may be. Let me just challenge you, retire that from your repertoire. And the reason is this, because if you are in a group of guys and you begin to joke about those who are struggling with this issue as if they are somehow repulsive or lesser than or the bottom of the rung and there's a friend of yours that is struggling with this issue, I guarantee you he's not going to feel free to come out and tell you that he's struggling with this issue. It's very unlikely that he's going to come up to you and say, man, that was just the best impersonation I've ever heard. Let me share my struggle with you, right? He's not going to do it if he feels threatened. And so out of grace and mercy and the desire to be uh, open and available for men and women to come and and say, I need help, right? Retire the jokes. Be careful how you speak. Speak with kindness and compassion. But again, don't be ashamed to speak the truth. To proclaim what, what the scripture says, which is it is a lifestyle that is wrong, but also destructive and deadly. You should know that the, the best, it's difficult to find good studies, but the best studies I've seen say that the average lifespan of a homosexual male is 42 years old and of a homosexual female is 49, right? Because it's a, it's a destructive lifestyle because it's apart from God's plan. So don't be afraid to speak the truth. And then thirdly, encourage Christ-likeness. I would challenge you to approach this issue as you would approach really any other sin issue, a friend who struggles with a body image issue or pornography or any of these other uh, sexual issues in particular. Approach it by saying, you know, we struggle. So what we're going to do is we're going to hold each other accountable. We're going to help you find resources that can help you. We're going to pray for you and we're going to be your friend. We're not going to kick you out from the one place where you can get hope and healing and the love of Jesus Christ. So encourage Christ-likeness. Again, the issue is we want men and women to walk with God and seek holiness and don't expect immediate change in your friends who are struggling with this issue, but recognize that sanctification is a process. Think of how many sins you struggle with that have been an issue for you for years. And yet over time, the Spirit continues to grow you and to change you and transform you as you walk with God. Allow that process to happen in the lives of your friends who are struggling with this issue. And encourage Christ-likeness. And guys, the time for us to accept the world's perspective on this and be silent is done with, I think. The time for us to go along with the prevailing viewpoint of many Christians that you know we just don't want these people around. I think that time is over as well. I think the time is for us to bring the gospel to bear on this issue. Say, it's an issue for which Jesus died. It's an issue for which Jesus offers forgiveness and mercy for those who will come to him. And it's one in which we want to we help you find healing and reconciliation. Would you guys pray with me? God, we love you. We thank you for your word. Pray that you would help us to believe it. I pray, God, forgive us for those times that we have wanted to stand above and apart from others and insist that um, we are somehow better Father, help us to remember that we have been forgiven. Father, I pray if there are any in here that struggle with this particular issue this evening, that they would feel the freedom to uh, seek help so that you can begin to transform their understanding of their identity, who they are in you. 
God, I pray let us be gracious and compassionate, but also truthful and unafraid. And we pray, be with us this week. Empower us to do your will. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. See you all next week.